What if I told you that even the worst neighborhood in America could be made completely safe? And what if I told you that this could be accomplished without risking the life of one single law enforcement officer? How do I know this? Because it's happening right now in every country in the world but this one. You've insulted this company with that bastard creation of yours. I had a guaranteed military sale with Ed 209. Who cares if it worked or not? The good cop, bad cop? Nah, Daniel. Bad cop, Robocop. Your move, creep. Thank you! Thank you! Madam, you have suffered an emotional shock. I will notify a rape crisis center. What if you made a sign machine? I got the muscle to shove enough of this factory so far up your stupid ass that you'll shit snow for a year. I could blow this cocksucker's head off. Guns, guns, guns! Your client's a scumbag! You're a scumbag! And scumbags see the judge on Monday morning! Now get out of my police station and take Laughing Boy with you! Mind if I zip this up? I'm here to see Dick Jones. But when I'm done, I've got some free time. Maybe you could, uh, fit me in. I wouldn't buy that for a dollar. I'd buy that for a dollar. Bitches, leave. Are you here to cuff me? All right. Go ahead. Cuff me. You can't. You're not programmed that way. Sounds like I'm in a lot of trouble. You better take me in. I will. What's the matter, officer? I'll tell you what's the matter. It's a little insurance policy called Directive 4. My little contribution to your psychological profile. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. Dead or alive, you are coming with me. guys, welcome into episode 5 of Film Tank. I'm your host Alex Diekman and on this episode we will be discussing the 1987 version of the movie RoboCop and also the 2014 version of the movie RoboCop. We'll be uh, talking about both uh, separately and then comparing and contrasting them later on in the episode. Just wanted to let you know, uh, you can find all of our episodes and more on the uh, home of the show at filmtankshow.com. Also, if you want to uh, listen or subscribe, go over to iTunes or Stitcher, and you can subscribe there by uh, clicking on the direct links found on our website. You can go to there and then uh, click on there to subscribe on either iTunes or Stitcher. Also, you can rate or review the show on there, which would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you want to uh, send us an email and tell us how much we're good at this or how much we're bad at this, which is fine either way, filmtankshow at gmail.com. And you can find updates on us at on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find us on there at Film Tank Show. Have the normal crew on today's episode, including Nick Cheney. Hello there. That was that was your best intro yet. That was great. I'm trying to think of a different one for every single episode. <laughs> uh, well, that was good. Just keep doing that one. It was lovely. But improve on it. Okay. Okay. Toussaint Egan also on today's episode. What's up, guys? Super excited. 
Oh, great. I'm glad you are super excited to be here. Yeah. Kenny Marcel is also here with us today. Hello, hello. I know why Tucson is super excited, and that is because we've found out the results of our poll, which just was closed a minute ago because we heard the show and... It was a squeaker. It was a really close race. A lot of votes casted for all you people out there. It was in the hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But it was. It, we actually had more votes than we thought we were going to get. So, But it was a close race. And Prometheus will be the alien movie we'll be talking about in the next episode. Toussaint, uh, not a fan of that movie. Oh, no. I'm it. so looking forward to this uh, This well-engineered and well-crafted sci-fi. I can't even, I can't even continue this. You guys want to know a fun fact about Toussaint? What? This week and last week, since three weeks ago, when he, when he drove <laughs> off of your driveway. Yeah. <laughs> no. He's parked in the street both yeah. weeks. He's afraid to park in your driveway. Oh, God. Well, there, there's no snow anymore, so I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a tattletale, you asshole. <laughs> Is just called a tattletale? Yeah. Is this kindergarten? Wow. Yeah. That's Apparently. Right. Anyways, uh, so the point of today's show uh, is not talking about Tucson's horrible driving. Uh, or parking, I guess. Or both. Both. Yeah, he, he was bad at, bad at both. Uh, we're talking about the RoboCop movies and not RoboCop 2 or RoboCop 3 because nobody needs any of that shit. Nope. We're talking about the original, and we'll start with that one. It was uh, released in 1987. And in a crime-ridden Detroit, a terminally wounded cop returns to the force as a powerful cyborg haunted by submerged memories. RoboCop, uh, in that film, uh, his character's name is Officer Alex uh, Murphy, pardon me. He's played by Peter Weller. Also, Nancy Allen in the film, playing his, uh, his, his partner, Officer Ann Lewis. And other people in the movie, including Miguel Fer- um, Ferrer. Ray Wise, who plays kind of a side character, who if any fans of Twin Peaks will know him. Mm-hmm. I've, never seen, I've never seen the show, what but apparently, apparently he was on it. Yep. And uh, also Kurtwood Smith, who mm-hmm. plays the best character in either movie. The, Foreman. The bad guy, uh, Clarence <laughs> Bodiger. Who, lots of great lines coming from him. Yeah. So that's what uh, RoboCop uh, number one was all about. Uh, it, oh, I should mention it was directed by Paul Verhoeven. This Ooh. was his first uh, American film ever. He's made a lot of other classics, including uh, Showgirls, for everybody out there who, who loves that movie. I know Nick does. Nick, I do. I love all of his films. It's because Nick likes boobs, so that's why I, he liked it. I mean, I'm not saying that that's completely independent of why, <laughs> why I enjoyed that film, but, but no, he's the master at uh, making trash fun. Yeah. Well, and since you already made that statement, and uh, I, I do think there is part of this movie that could be described as uh, that, uh, let's start with Nick and see how he felt about the original RoboCop. Sure. Um, I actually have to give a little context for this because, um, as I'm sure uh, all the guys here know, because I've been talking about it nonstop, um, I have been watching every single uh, Paul Verhoeven film that I can get my hands on. You've and... even started deviating into the uh, the older foreign films, right? Uh, not. I haven't watched any of his old Dutch films because okay. I did watch Black Book, which was a 2007 film. Ah. That was basically after Hollow Man and... Probably the failure of that. He maybe could not get uh, financing, so he went back to uh, a Dutch movie, which is actually one of his best ones. So hmm. Throwing that out there, go watch that movie. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, I've been literally, I had not, before the year 2015, I had not seen a single one of his films, despite the fact that they're pretty well known. I mean, Basic Instinct, Showgirls, uh, Robocop, um, all these films, even they kind of have a notoriety to them that it was just kind of funny that 
I'd never seen a single one. Once I kind of realized and zoned in on the fact that it was one guy making all of these, that's what got me interested. Mm-hmm. So RoboCop, interestingly enough, was the last one. I don't know why I saved it for last. Maybe because it's kind of his most famous one. But Even um, though, as, I think, as you said already, it was his first American film. Right. So And that yeah. was the other thing is I don't know um, if I was going to notice something there as far as like a you know starting out and whatnot. Um, but I have to say... Uh, Part of my reaction to this film will be that I am somewhat comparing it to the other uh, five or so uh, American Paul Verhoeven films, and I have to say this is my least favorite of his hmm. uh, in that group. However, once again, he takes something that I just normally have no interest in watching, and he makes it just way more fun than it should be. Okay, and it's it's just a blast. I mean, I think uh, one of the things I do have a problem with, which we can talk about. Um, is not Peter Weller himself because he's doing fine in this or whatever. But yeah. unlike all of his other campy trash pieces, what I like to call them, um, he doesn't have a protagonist that gets to really let loose because he is uh, a robot. Exactly, a so, robot cop. You know, you don't like I was telling Alex earlier. You don't have like Elizabeth Berkeley throwing French fries for no reason or Kevin Bacon completely inept at telling us joke to his mad scientist. Like, these are just performances that stay with me because they're just so fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, so because all of that kind of crazy, campy, Verhoeven stuff is really relegated to the sidelines with, like, the villains, like Clarence Boddicker, um, who's fantastic, and yeah. uh, Miguel Ferrer, he's just really camping it up. And, of course, those ridiculous, uh, uh, what do I want to say, intertitles of, like, the news and the sitcoms that mm-hmm. these characters are watching, like, all that part I was loving. So it was kind of like every time we were spending time with RoboCop himself, that's where the film started to lose me a little bit. But overall, I just I thought it was a really, really fun ride. And um, yeah, it was just, it's just a blast, which is what Paul Verhoeven does best. All right, Toussaint, uh, let's uh, give your original thoughts on this film. All right. Or init- initial thoughts, I think, is the word I was looking for. Yes, I hope they're original, because if you stole them, that's going to be pretty fucking <laughs> I amateur. I did not steal them. <laughs> um, I haven't seen this film in a very long time. I didn't watch it before I went to go see the remake like last year, which, yeah. Um, but going back to it, it's, it's surprisingly a really intelligent film. I'm surprised by how intelligent this film was, like with its uh, commentary. Like I did some research on why the controversy of like remaking RoboCop was such a big deal. Mm-hmm. And that's because RoboCop is such a fixture of the Reagan administration. And it's a total satire of it. And like looking back and going from that, that kind of knowledge into the film, it's it's pretty hilarious. It's pretty scathing. It's uh, it touches on everything. It touches on the military-industrial complex, strategic defense initiative, the war on drugs, mm-hmm. um, even like mutually assured destruction. It's uh, it's it's actually handled very very well. I well, enjoyed it. And another thing too is I think that film does a really good job. And I hate to step on your toes a little bit Not with this, but from just from what you're saying. Um, I feel like it does a really good job, not necessarily predicting the future, but a lot of things that were happening in that film, like Detroit completely mm-hmm. falling off a cliff and becoming a shithole, that obviously those kind were of happened. were totally things that were not just like prescient of like our time, but also they were indicative of the time that it was created in. Like mm-hmm. RoboCop is one of those films that I see as a time capsule of the '80s, and that it represents not only the uh, the temperaments, the political like cultural temperaments of the time, but also the um, the entertainment taste of the time, which mm-hmm. go along with like the the rise of the home video network, like the home video like service. Okay, yeah. 
Yeah, okay. no, that's one of the things that Paul Verhoeven is best at and what draws me continually to most of his films is that there is, like, on the surface, it looks like stupid trash, but if you keep digging, and this is why Starship Troopers is my favorite film of his, mm-hmm. uh, it, it gets insanely, uh, I would say, prescient about what is happening and what's going to happen because, I mean, just like what you were saying about mm-hmm. RoboCop being like a weird mirror to the future and the present of the 80s. Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers somehow predicted the entire Iraq war conflict <laughs> two or three years before 9-11 even happened. So, I like, he's just a scarily... Uh, I, maybe it's that whole foreigner coming into an American, uh, you know, structure and just obviously commenting on our behavior from a completely outsider point of view and that's why it like totally works nick are you saying that he's one of the greatest filmmakers of the 90s uh i would actually say that yeah yes. i'd agree yeah tucson when you when you talk about it being a time capsule of the 80s the, mm-hmm. the scene when robocop is in the disco the, the nightclub yeah those hairstyles and the, the clothes everybody's wearing it was such an 80s movie at that point it was it yeah. was well and, and when you're talking about being a time capsule i feel like not only does it capture the culture mm-hmm. and the language and everything but as kenny's just mentioning the physical aspects of the movie are so captured the so well the clothes the oh cars, yeah everything about the it. gratuitous violence even the small things like the all the people in the film who are blowing bubbles with bubble gum which since <laughs> bubble gum was kind of i don't know why but it was a kind of a thing that symbolizes the 80s it's just i don't know why just it's it's crazy but go ahead and continue kenny i'm sorry oh well no i mean i was just talking about the the time capsule part mm-hmm. but um as, as far as what i thought of this movie well first of all it was so much better than chappy I, <laughs> I just kept thinking that for the first half hour i'm like oh my god well, it didn't Fresh really off to, the Chappie episode. This it didn't is... really have to do much to be better than Chappie, no. but it is much better than yeah. that film. Right. Chappie can run faster, though. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll, I'll give him that. Yeah. <laughs> um, what this movie did for me was it found that sweet spot between being a, a great action film with, as Toussaint said, the gratuitous amounts of violence and blood squibs, all the, yeah, the blood squibs, yeah, yeah, but. But it was such a, it had that 80s cheese to it that was just so corny at times and, and the bad jokes and the, it just, it was, it was a perfect blend between the two for me. Being a comedy and an action fan, it, it found that spot for me and I had never seen this movie prior to doing this episode. Mm-hmm. So this was a first time viewing for me and I was, I was floored by how much I liked this movie. I fell in love with this movie mm-hmm. instantly. It was, it was awesome. It You've was never a, seen it before. No, I had never seen it. And yeah. so it, it kind of blindsided me. I didn't know what to expect going in. I just, I just had never gotten around to seeing it. So, well, and I feel like the first scene of this movie is just like such a great scene setter. Talk about kind of satirical material in his films and that news broadcast with the commercial for the, Fantastic. for the, the heart uh, place is just amazing. It's, well, a, it's just a great the, opening. It has the, nothing to do with the plot of the film or anything, but it's just those a perfect... cheesy commercials that ran through yeah. was, was some of the most entertaining stuff yep. from this Nukem. movie. The, the Nukem game that they were playing yeah. as a family, but more importantly, the, the 6,000 SUX car. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> Because you hear them say it and you don't think much of it, but then when you see it spelled out and it's just 6,000 sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I was dying. I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the other thing about this movie. It's so quotable. There's so many great yeah. one-liners from it. I... Leave, bitches. <laughs> no, bitches leave. Bitches oh, sorry. Leave. Pardon me. I always do that. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm bad with clothes. Oh, man. But yeah, yeah, so it hit the spot for me. It was a, it was a great comedy, but it also 
was very well written. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a lot of great action in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some cheesy action to go along with it. I love towards. Uh, well, it's 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 one of. Uh, I don't I don't know his name. I didn't actually catch his name, but it's one of Clarence Boddicker's guys towards the end when he drives the truck into the toxic waste. Oh uh, yeah, and he becomes uh he's like melting. Yeah, shit. he's like yeah. melting and he, he runs and Clarence Boddicker just runs into him and it just explodes everywhere. He's like shit. Yeah, that Paul, that Paul McCrane, that, yeah. that's who played. Yeah. He uh he, that moment, I don't know why, but it just reminded me so much of the uh weird sideswipe that happens in um, the Quinn Tarantino movie in, of, of Grindhouse. Oh, I love Grindhouse. Where, where the guy who's on the bike gets hit by the car and flies into the barn. It has nothing oh, yeah. to do with the story <laughs> at all. It, it's funny you bring up Tarantino because I found myself thinking, especially as this movie went on and on, it literally, it, it takes the the overindulgence and the, the blood squibs and the, the, the blood just flying ever. It takes a Tarantino movie and makes it look like a Saturday morning cartoon, basically. It, yeah. It, I think awesome. that there's a reason why Tarantino has yet to make a sci-fi film, and it's because... You can't top that. Right. I was going to say Paul Verhoeven was almost doing not the same exact thing, but he would basically come off as like a copy. Uh, like, you know, I, I want to say he obviously wouldn't offer anything original because I love Quentin Tarantino, but it would almost be redundant to try and do that in his style. Well, and I think the... Not that... Paul Verhoeven is disliked by a lot of people, but a lot of his films are panned by critics where Tarantino's are for the most part, I wouldn't, I don't want to say beloved, but people like them. And I feel like the, 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 the main difference is because they are, you know, similar filmmakers is that Tarantino always goes for, has just a more talented um, story creator and, and scene writer yeah. where Paul Verhoeven is more based on the action and showing you of the film where Tarantino gets obsessed with 30 minute dialogue scenes and shit like that. Thematically True. Verhoeven is more ambitious and he executes on that a lot more. One of the best things I can say about any Paul Verhoeven film is that it is, it never ever winks at the audience because it never gives you that like come up for air don't worry, we're all just kidding about this. It is completely committed to its lunacy. Whereas even Tarantino has a lot of, I would say, I would say like winky faces to the audience. But the end of Inglorious Bastards. Exactly. Like there are literally like you know he's playing with titles and. You're saying Hitler didn't die like that? No, I'm saying like when <laughs> when Brad Pitt like spoilers if you haven't oh, seen yeah. Inglorious Bastards, um, he cars like the the swastika and the the Nazis like face and he says this might be my masterpiece and then it smash cuts to yeah. written directed by quentin tarantino yeah. i'm just like come on man no that kind of stuff that kind of meta textual stuff that that's what separates tarantino whereas verhoven will never let you in on the joke you're either laughing at it because you get what he's doing or you're thinking it's stupid and you're not realizing that he is full- i'm ready to fight <laughs> yes he, he's fully aware of what he's making and i think if you just do simple google searches of most of his films, at least. Um, you'll see, if you compare the reviews of most of his films when they came out, and you kind of just track down some reappraisal uh, reviews, you'll see most critics have come around because they kind of now realize what he was doing at the time. Well, in RoboCop, the eighty the 87 version, the first one, it, it never... It never takes itself too seriously. And there were, there were so many little things in this movie that I just... It's not even something that everybody would catch, but, like... When when every time a police car was leaving the station and it would hit the ramp, 
either coming in or out, and it just bottoms out, and there's sparks yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Not it's only just... that, but there's a great scene when they, they get to the crime scene, and one of the police cars just goes through the crime tape, like, for no <laughs> yeah. real... Like, you would think, like yeah. in real life, obviously, you'd lift it the up. Police, yeah. yeah, you, you would whip, but you no... You just they're... drove right through it. Yeah. Well, and, and we're talking about Verhoeven kind of committing to that thing, and I feel like there's an early scene in this film, which is pretty much him saying, this is what this movie is going to be, and if you don't like it, you can fuck off and die. Um, where the 209, which is one of the worst um, you know, CGI. Hey, man, that, it was oh, good for 1987. Hey, no, no, it's fine, but I feel like that's one of those things that it's like old dinosaurs in movies. You're like, holy shit, what like happened Clash here? Like Titans? Yeah, yeah. And there, but it, there's an, it's it was, great looking back at it. It was so over-the-top bad. Yeah. I know what you're saying, because yeah. when, it, when it first came out, I'm like, this isn't even '80s bad. This is this is like, this is horribly bad. He, yeah, he intentionally made this this bad. Well, and the the famous scene where it falls down where the stairs. Falls. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. Like a little um, fish out of water. Yeah. Adorable. But what I was going to mention to what we've been talking about here is that the 209 and they're not able to shut it down and it's going to kill the the businessman in there. And in most movies, they would oh. Phew, Saved it. No, it like full on went for it, and it shot like seventy rounds into this guy. And he Don't just... touch him. You think he's still alive? <laughs> you think he's still and, alive? Yeah. And the reaction after that too is like, I think he says something to the effect of like, "Well, we have some things to work out." Right, right. Like, asshole. Yeah, it wasn't a complete failure. Just totally obliterated a man in front of him. Well, I guess we have a few bugs to work out. The, the look on Minor the glitch. the look on the old man's face where he just puts his 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 head in his hands after that. Like, oh boy. <laughs> Whoops! I also love the the hostage scene when RoboCop punches a man through the wall. Oh, I mean, God. he he literally just reaches through the yeah. wall, grabs him, and then and then he punches him, but misses him by like a foot. But it's just the cheesiness of the movie. But he punches him through the outside building, and he just falls from the third story. It's yep. incredible. Oh yeah, that's right. So like, cheesy, so bad. If somebody's it. falling yeah. outside of a window in this movie, it's always hilarious. Because the one at the end when he, uh, what's the character's name? Um, not Dick Jones? Yes. Yeah. Like when he pushes him out the window. Oh, that's bad. And that's just the hilarious backdrop of yeah. the guy just flailing. You know what's my favorite part of that, though? What? When the... Um... The I can't remember his name, the name of his character. He's like the black guy. He just like stood up and he was like, oh. he's yeah. just like so excited. It's like, my, yes. My favorite part of that scene actually is the fact that gave him a thumbs up. It's it's um, I got I got to find it here. I, I I wrote down exactly um, you guys go was it was it the uh, the you're fired thing? Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. Fired. yeah, and then like the the thing automatically turns yes. off and can shoot yes. him. He's, Thank not, you. he's not allowed to harm anybody from the company, but as yeah. soon as somebody says you're fired, the man was not an employee anymore. That's, it just shoots him out the window. Don't have to go through HR. Just like right. it's immediate. I, I will <laughs> oh, say that great. that is something that is funny, but that is totally a plot device that was like, well, you need to figure out a way to get this. But it's a plot over. device. But uh, you know, I want to bring something up now. You brought up Kenny uh, Chappie earlier, but that's just simple logic like it's a funny and ridiculous joke but it's also a movie following its own rules all the way to the end where mm-hmm. that was the problem with a movie like Chappie which just has no rules and kept on making and new rules and constantly breaks them. all the rules that never even made in the first place so yeah. it's just whatever but I was actually because I had never seen this before just like you Kenny so when he mentioned the whole like you know he can't shoot an employee or whatever I was kind of wondering like is this going to come back later and when it actually it did, did it comes back in just one of the cheesiest but greatest ways ever. So I, I was actually, that was one of my favorite parts of the script. Uh, really quick, because I'm going to forget about them. Uh, we've talked about quotes, how this movie is so quotable. There are a couple quotes that definitely stood out to me that I were not like the ones I remembered. Mm-hmm. And they're both actually from Bob Morgan, the guy, Miguel Ferrer, who I think is 
other than Kurtwood Smith, my favorite character from this movie. Um, he does say the line, a mind is a terrible thing to waste, which was stolen in the movie Small Soldiers by Chip Hazard, if anybody remembers that movie. Yeah, I do. But I, I just, like, it came back to me right away, because that line was actually, I think, used in the trailer for that silly movie. Armin White said that movie was better than Toy Story 3. Armin no. White well, says a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the other one that he said, which was total 80s and totally just a great quote, is when he's sitting and just snorting a huge pile of cocaine and he just, he just screams out, there's just something about the way it smells. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I've, uh, I've got a couple of quotes that I, I picked out. One of them, like both of them, I think, speak to the whole like social message, be- social message behind the film. Mm-hmm. Like when Alex Murphy, before he gets obliterated by, uh, by Boddicker and his, his team yeah. when he's going through the uh, the warehouse and he overhears the two thugs that are like transporting stuff and he's just like yep we're gonna take this drug and then we're gonna sell it then we're gonna buy more stuff and then we're gonna sell it again and it's like and it's uh there's no better way to steal money than free enterprise and that's kind of like taking a dig at like the whole yep. reagan administration of like cutting out food stamps and medicare and like giving tax breaks to like wealthy corporations mm-hmm. and then there's another one when uh dick jones i think it is and he's talking to to Boddicker in his his suite after the whole like RoboCop Ed Two Hundred Nine showdown. Yeah, and he's just like, I'm gonna need some stuff, and I'm just like, fine. We're practically the military. There's like mm-hmm. military industrial complex right there. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um. So any anything else that anybody wants to bring just about this movie that they want to say before we move on to? I the, loved uh, it. Okay. Is, is that it? Is there anything else then? I loved it. Yes. The uh, the the scene where the woman is being. Well, she's she's being assaulted by the two guys, and, yeah. and RoboCop shows up and shoots the one guy in the dick through her dress. Did you see the oh, alternate yes. scene that I sent you guys? I was just gonna say that that's it's, done it's, so well. It's it's so as well. great as that scene is, it's not nearly as good as the extended version, the, the one that you. Can we enough. link that? Yeah, we can link that into the show. I want to link that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Our listeners... I won't even spoil it. If you're going to link it, I'm not even going to spoil I, it. I, I don't want to bring bring up like other things unnecessarily, but I do like the. Uh, the guys from Screen Junkies who do the Honest Trailers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And their Honest Trailer for RoboCop is one of the best they've done. The original or the new one? The, the, the original, original for, the, for okay. this movie. Yeah. And it, it's it's really good. So I, if you have not seen it, check I'm it out. It. I was just going to say, if I you will, have not seen it. I will link both to the uh, Supercut yes. you were talking about and the uh, the Honest Trailers in our show notes. Awesome. There, I am a fan of both. So let's get a, I guess let's get a rating from everybody and then we'll move on to the remake. So uh, Nick, let's start with you. Well, um... Immediately after we had watched this, I was going to give it a three out of five stars, which sounds a little low because that's like, in my opinion, like the bare minimum of me liking it more than I dislike it and whatnot. Mm. I have to admit, after this conversation, I feel like I'm actually going to raise that. So my official rating is three and a half out of five. I think it is. I give it. I think it's more fun than I even remembered it was. And um, it's probably still my least favorite Verhoeven, but. All in all, it's just, if you, that's, here's a, unfortunately I'm going to use my spot to one more time plug, uh, if you think this is a great film but you really haven't rewatched like Basic Instinct and all of his other ones, this is all he ever does and it's so much fun and this is no different and uh, so many quotable lines and uh, my only weakness of the, that I find in the film is that I feel like the villains are just way more entertaining to spend time with than unfortunately <laughs> the protagonist, which is totally okay because he is a robot. But, and the uh, window dressing of the film and the uh, yeah. the 
new swipes and commercials. Exactly. And uh, also, one more time, if you like those, he repeats that trick ten years later with uh, Starship Troopers <laughs> to even more, I think, hilarious effect that's got a wicked political edge to it. But um, no, overall, this is just a really fun film. It's a good start from uh, Nick Cheney, Toussaint. Let's move on to you. Okay. I wrote down my verdict, and it's just two sentences, okay? So, uh, could, could you read them verbatim? That'd be great. Yeah, I could do that. Okay. <laughs> the original RoboCop is a scathing indictment of laissez-faire capitalism and corporate corruption, a gruesome tongue-in-cheek sci-fi action movie that doubles as a warped funhouse mirror reflection of the times that bore it. So I took a lot of enjoyment out of it, so I'd have to give it a four out of five. Okay, very good. And Toussaint Egan is now our official reader for the show. <laughs> yeah, I should read off the, uh, the announcements from now on. <laughs> yes, yes, that would be good, so you can get that out of your system, so yeah. you can stop reading your reviews. Yeah, That's good. <laughs> All right, Kenny, what did you think about this? I'm going to keep going even higher with the rating. I'm oh. going to go four and a half out of five. Okay. What, okay. what upsets me is it, it kind of makes me sad that these kind of movies just don't happen anymore. They just don't. You don't I get this. I completely agree. We the, have this weird fetish now that like we need to take everything seriously, yeah. and I think that's why things... Which is... And remake we're everything. Gonna, we're going to get into that with the next one, right. at least I am for sure, yeah. but you just you just don't get this kind of shit from movies nowadays. <laughs> yeah. You just don't. And Black, Black Dynamite is about the only movie I can think of. That... <laughs> Dynamite! <laughs> um, uh, the, the one thing I'll say to what you're saying is that the, this movie is totally about all the things you're saying about how we have such a corporate mentality with films today where they're made and they a lot of them are so safe and that and this is just not a safe movie at all and it's great i think it says a lot that paul verhoeven he existed because he came at the right time which was when the the 80s were booming and we were not taking a whole, i mean we had shows like miami vice and such which is a great show by the way but we had all this excess so naturally he fit right into the american structure so I think it says something that his last film that he made in America was uh, Hollow Man in 2001, and mm. that was pretty much when we were like, like, I don't know if it's like a post 9/11 thing or something, but mm-hmm. we were we were done with this. We were stuff. done with this shit. Yeah, we were done with this campy, uh, you know, trash stuff. Well, and it's strange because at a, at a time when so many things, so many genres don't have borders and things blend together, this this particular conversation is almost the opposite, where people take their their movies too serious and if this movie was made nowadays people would not like it because it's you know they they, they can't deal with them i'm sure people would still like, like it i mean there are people who do but, but not what, not films like this but robert rodriguez is a somewhat similar director right, but do, you, do you think robocop but robert when, kind of winks a little more like he's making parody do you films. think this movie if made today exactly the way it was would be as successful though no as it, was? it would yeah. be successful but it's there's more to that which i'll get into it here when i finish talking about my rating but yeah, I, this movie just wouldn't get made today, so it doesn't really matter talking about hypotheticals because a movie like this just right. would not be well, made. No, it wouldn't get financed. Actually, because... obviously, we're going to talk about it in the next conversation, but it would get made today. It would just be a completely different... Yeah. Uh, but but I, I think that's what Kenny's saying, that this exact movie, if it was made today, and I'm saying there was no way it would be. So Okay, we're, now we're living in an Abbott and Costello routine because we're, <laughs> we're, just, we're just repeating, and we're going down a spiral of nobody can... Uh, okay. I just wanted to point that out. Well, you, it's duly noted but overruled so fuck off with combo you, breaker right? I wasn't giving a uh-huh. judgment sure, combo sure okay <laughs> it's fine no I've noted it and it is in the log okay who's on first uh, are you saying I'm like Dustin Hoffman's character oh my oh my goodness wow objection 
Okay, this is not a courthouse. Anyway, <laughs> I give the floor to Alex. What, what, what do you, how do you feel about this? Thank you, Go Kenny. Ahead. I'm going to interrupt you. Thank you. Uh, hey, you're interrupting. That's what oh, I do. Yes. That's my Go job. Um, I gave this movie a four out of five. I Ooh. loved it. It's the first time I had seen the film since I was a lot younger, which fits in totally with the marketing of this movie, which is marketed to children all the way, which is insane when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because this is a, a not a horrible movie, but if you were taking your five-year-old to go to a movie, you would not land on RoboCop to what, go to. What did the Honest trailer say? It was written for adults, but aimed for children. Yeah, marketed to kids. Marketed to kids. They <laughs> had toys for all the characters from this movie, and there was even a RoboCop cartoon, if I'm, if I'm correct. Which so. is actually a hilarious statement, because that's the clear point of like how many Americans and our the way our system works is that we just completely miss Paul Verhoeven's point and we f- played right into that hand because mm-hmm. that's the exact thing that he's making fun of through most of the film. So, and to what we were just talking about, if if Paul Verhoeven, first of all, RoboCop would have been owned because big studios own almost every property, he would have had to go to somebody to say he wants to make a movie about RoboCop and whatever, and he would get the Edgar Wright treatment of you need to make it with these constraints or you're going to be fired. So you mean if he were to do it today? Yeah. 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 And I think that's why he kind of packed it up after uh, 2001 (laughs) and just, you know, left and started making uh, films back in his home country. Although I do know, I believe there is a, he has like, he's working on it right now. There's another American film, I believe coming up from him uh, to look for. It's been kind of quiet lately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's made quite a few films because he made a lot more even before he started in America. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm a a fan. We all are. So it will be another entrant onto the hit list, sounds like, which Mm -hmm. is totally fine because it it deserves it. It's a a great movie and it is on Netflix. So if you want to check it out, it is very accessible now. So do that. Moving on to 2014. Let's jump ahead 27 years. And in 2000, my math is clearly my strongest suit. That's right. Uh, in 2028 Detroit, Alex Murphy, a loving husband, father, and good cop, is critically injured in the light of duty. The conglomerate Omnicorp sees their chance for a part-man, part-machine robot police officer. Uh, the director of last year's RoboCop was Jose Padilla, and it starred Joel Kinnaman as Alex Murphy. Also uh, had Michael Keaton, Abby Cornish, Gary Oldman, Jack Haley, and Michael Kenneth Williams. So that is what uh, the new RoboCop was like. It's a very different film from the 1987 version. And uh, let's start off with Nick on what he... Because you've now had to see this twice, both times with me, because I dragged you to see it in theater. You did. And, um, and I saw I it just last week. I still thinking about how you could pay me back for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you say it's a very different film, and I'm not entirely sure I agree with that all uh, the way. L- l- let's just back up just a second. To, to, oh, no. Jesus. Let's, I mean, let's just back up. I've just got to defend myself a little Five bit. Five seconds I mean, in. There's just a very different tone to ro- the new RoboCop than the old one. Okay. So it it, it is a it makes it a different feeling film. I mean, okay. Is so that can, it? So can, <laughs> pl- please continue, and I'll turn my microphone off. Sounds great. So this... Uh, because one of the things that I noticed when rewatching it directly after watching the original film is that it's actually way more similar than I thought. Because when I had only seen this remake, uh, sadly, without having even seen the original last year, I was assuming that it was a like completely different film. I, I, I mean, I knew, of course, of the Omnicorp and like the similarities of, with Alex Murphy and all that kind of stuff. But I, I was assuming that it was like just this 
you know, Christopher Nolan kind of like takes himself very seriously take on, um, on uh, a story. Because I will admit, for some weird reason, when I watched the uh, original, before I watched it, I thought it was a little darker than it was going to be because of how, I would say, like the dark color palette of this one and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, though, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of this remake. It's, uh, it's one of those things where before I watch it, um, my, my, the question it has to answer for, for it to pass the test is, why does this exist? Mm-hmm. Because it is a remake. So you can't tell the same story twice without a purpose. Now, it does have a different tone to it. I'll give you that. However, <laughs> it doesn't actually pull that tone off for me because uh, it's still the same story. And that's what's weird. It's like if you're going to have a different tone, you can't tell the same exact story because your tone and your story should be intertwined with each other. Um, and one of the worst parts of the new film for me is how it tries to be a little more humanistic in its approach to yeah. the RoboCop character. A little more. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, I think definitely I was, a lot I was more. definitely yeah. trying to downplay it, but yeah, no, it, that's like one of the overarching themes of the film. I think to Alex's point, I, I think that's what he was trying to say. I felt like it was very different because of how much more they tried to give it that human element. As opposed until like halfway through the film, when there's the scene where they lower his dopamine levels down and pretty much flatline him, and I literally wrote down at that point it basically turned into the original. That's that's my biggest problem with it is that it does start off as a different film. However, how do we end up at the same exact endpoint if we were starting from a completely different starting point? So that's why this film, in my opinion, completely fails. I mean, I, I didn't think it was horrible or so. It's not like a chappy like. It's to me. It's like it's not a chappy. <laughs> that, that is. Is the, that going to be a pejorative for a bad? That film would now? be my running kind of like. That is the line yeah, for, for chappy is. Um, but it's <laughs> it's one of those films that um, like it's I would call it compulsively watchable. Like it's not horrible or anything like that. But unfortunately, it just never actually made good use of its source material to tell something uh, more interesting than it thought it would. Uh, one thing I do want to mention really quick, like it has. What's funny is that. One of my favorite parts of the movie is the, um, especially the, like the beginning when a we get to see the Novak uh, show with Samuel L. Jackson's oh, character. Yeah. I thought that was actually a pretty good because they were at least trying to say like they were trying to bring the satire to the 21st century and whatnot. Um, however, the film outside of that is so different than that that they don't coexist peacefully, and that's mm-hmm. that's what's weird about it too. Um, but one of my favorite sequences, and I feel like the film should have been a little more like that, was. In the beginning, when we see the Novak show, we get glimpses of like the kind of the war and I don't know what conflict it is. Um, we nobody knows anymore. Nick. Okay. Right. Well, well, no, I didn't know if it was like because I really wasn't paying attention. To war on terror. Okay, so it was yeah. what a, it wasn't like a uh, made up thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but and we get to see how this was being implemented in the war. And I remember when I first saw it in the theater, I was like, I was actually kind of like going, "Wow, this could be better than I thought," because I thought it was going to start to tie into that kind of thing. Unfortunately, the but film then. completely. Uh, I would say gets away from that right after the first like 10 minutes and yet that was like the most exciting and kind of the most potent part of the entire film uh, okay but I, I have obviously I have more thoughts but I will shave them for later okay very good Toussaint uh, you, you seem like you're agreeing with some of Nick's sentiments so I, let's hear it I did he pretty much took the words out of my mouth this Robocop remake feels like alright a... moving on to wait no. <laughs> shut the fuck up anyway this, this you're fired remake <laughs> feels like a, a pale reflection of the original it's like i'm going back to nick's point of like what the intent of this film was whereas the original film was like stupid fun that was mixed with like aggressive like political satire this feels like the precedent of this 
remake was simply to remake RoboCop in the 21st century, not to actually say anything about the 21st century. Like instead of talking about um, instead of talking about the strategic defense initiative or mutually assured destruction, this one's talking about basically broad strokes such as like the war on terror the ethicality of like drone warfare it kind of just goes through a checklist like meaningless yeah right? prosthetics and and a culture of fear actually i have a question for you too because i feel like you might be on the same wavelength with me here yeah do you think that this film kind of came out at a bad time because if you look at when it came out and then you look at a lot of i would say very uh public cases of uh misuse of police authority and such and the public's perception of uh police it's kind of would uh, it be a better film if it came out a year year well, later? It, it maybe somehow incorporated that because that's what kind of was uncomfortable for me to watch this film now. Now that we have things like I don't know if you like, like Ferguson, yeah, and other very public cases of uh, policemen obviously acting outside of their jurisdiction and whatnot. Like this whole um, balance between uh, the public's trust of the Detroit Police Department mm -hmm. and like them trying to do what they want, which is kind of weird because nobody is stating the obvious, which is. We have a completely different climate in the mm -hmm. real world than this film does, and yet this film thinks that it's saying something about our world. I, I don't know if you caught on to that. I feel like they, um, yeah, I, I think that, man, now I can't just help but <laughs> now I can't help but imagine like what a RoboCop, RoboCop film would be like if it came out this year as opposed to 2014. I was gonna say like that was like rewatching it. That was my biggest kind of grievance with it. I'm like, if it had waited like and maybe kind of centered around that, it could have been not only a good remake, but also a, had a reason to exist because it would have uh, started to get into something. But then it would have been even more frustrating if it, you know that it would never touch on that in, in full. It would just like That's glaze true. over it. That is true. So yeah. I just didn't know if you thought had the same thoughts as me. Cause... No, I, I actually just happened okay. on that when you talked about it. And I think that's a, that's yeah. definitely a, a valid point. Yeah. I just want to, point out real quick you guys just had a conversation for a couple of minutes about something that never would have come from the first movie you guys are very much in agreement. So i feel like i'm very much with alex I, this movie was way different than the first one because that conversation never would have come from the first robocop ever mm. there were so many so many current issues that were worked into this it was a lot more serious it was a lot more political it was there, there was so much more that brought the, the, the feel of it down from that happy... Well, know, but the I, original RoboCop didn't have a precedent to it. Right, and also you got to realize, I feel like this uh, the remake, you have the Novak character played by Samuel L. Jackson uh, making sure that he tells you exactly what satirical things that, are that's going That's pretty to much the up. consolidation of satire. There is no kind of character like the Novak in the remake to point out exactly when Paul, Ho Paul Verhoeven is like, um, you know, I don't want to get into because we're going to talk about both films, yeah. obviously. But I feel like the Novak character in the remake is kind of shoving and spoon feeding uh, all of the important topics that this film is going to cover. So like, that's why. Like why is America so robophobic? <laughs> <laughs> Does yeah. Congress support crime? We could get it. We could seriously do bad quotes from this movie for probably an hour. Mm -hmm. Playing I, good I cop, rope. Playing. I, I, I wouldn't buy that for a dollar. Yeah. yeah, that was definitely at the top. We're going to play good cop, bad cop? No. Bad, bad cop, cop Robocop. <laughs> the fuck, Michael Kenneth Williams? Don't bring yourself down to that level. You're so much better than this. Seriously, come on, Chalky. Although he, had, he, <laughs> he did have uh, Chalky, really. He is well, known that's his as, character on no, Boardwalk know, Empire. If you, 
he's known as Omar from the Wire. I know. We have to always talk about the Wire because that's Nick's favorite show. So that's how it has to be remembered. (laughs) Hey, there's going to be a lot of people that agree with me. Hey, and that's fine. Um, But uh, a a lot of people probably also watched Boardwalk Empire, and he was a prominent figure on that show. So go fuck yourself and continue. (laughs) Oh, anyway. uh, But Michael Kenneth Williams actually had my favorite line. It was the only time the film (laughs) tried to be funny and actually worked because it was just a nice little detour. But when he... uh, when Alex Murphy comes back and he's got the black suit on now and he goes, at least you're now the right color. Yeah. Like, I actually thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Because it wasn't the film trying to go... Like, the whole... That was one of my biggest problems with the film when Jackie Earl Haley's character, um, when they're doing the test and whatnot, and he looks at it and he's trying to get them to realize that his machines are better than the Alex Murphy RoboCop character. Mm-hmm. And he says, I wouldn't buy that for a dollar. That makes no sense in the context of this movie because it only exists to go wink, wink. Remember we're a remake. And like that kind of line, the whole, I wouldn't buy that for a dollar from the original film. First of all, you got to remember somebody on TV said it. So mm-hmm. it is so it's got that extra layer of being scripted that that's why it works. Jackie Earl Haley's character would never say something like that, so it just becomes even more apparent that the film is grasping at straws to try to get you to take that nostalgia and appreciation from the first movie and apply it to this one, and it just it made me even more mad. Okay, do you have any more to say? I, I don't want to talk over you, Kenny. You were it was your turn on the floor, so let's uh, hear your thoughts on this film. Well, uh, I, I don't want to come across as, as, as sounding like I hated this because I, I didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I didn't mind. I certainly didn't like it as much as the original, but um, I, I still feel like it was it was very different in many ways. I mean, even even to the fact that there was the whole element of they they tried to work in his um, the, the the human element of him, and and he wasn't so ro- robotic as as in the first film. But I think just the technological advances alone was enough premise to to remake this movie because there were times throughout the film where something would be happening during a crime and instead of just strictly reading that a crime was in progress it would actually break down what that person's emotional feelings were and Mm -hmm. it just it was it was a whole uh, extra step in in the technological side of it that that wasn't even relevant in the 80s so so even just being aged another 20 years was alone enough to remake this movie I felt even from that side but my my big problem with it though is it, it just it, it was it was too serious compared to the first again though another difference between today culture nowadays and and maybe the feel of things in the 80s that I I, I happen to agree with Alex a I lot would, I think these were very different movies I wouldn't say that the the first Robocop was less serious obviously on the surface it was but I feel like it was serious in a different bent like it was seriously satirical because mm-hmm. yeah. it, it takes itself very seriously and that's why it is funny because mm-hmm. nobody is you know like i said earlier like letting the audience in on the joke you're either thinking this is stupid because of how committed they are to these ridiculous catchphrases and whatnot mm-hmm. or you're just along for the ride because everybody is just 110 percent committed yeah well, moving on to me, I'm the only person on this panel who genuinely loved the new RoboCop and thought it was gr- a great movie. So I brought some guns to explain why. Explain. Uh-huh. That's not a real word. So no, we make up shit on the show all the time, though. Well, I don't know about we. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for not including yourself in this. Well, you crew. told me to fuck off earlier. So well, you deserved it. So, um, 
I definitely think that this is a great movie, and I'm the only person probably on the face of the earth who thinks this, but I feel like the story for this movie is actually written really well and has a good kind of tight script to it. I'm the only person who thinks that, and I'm fine being that person. But for me, since this is a movie that has a lot of things that I like about kind of action slash origin story movies, um, this was just done so well for my own personal perspective. And I totally see the other side of the coin, why people don't think it's as good and you're comparing it to the original. But talking about this being a different movie from the original, as Kenny brought up, there are so many technological things involved with this movie, whether it be his ability to use data from computers and the internet and all that, and to use the system that they have set up, which makes sense because it is 14 years into the future that you have the ability to access uh, video cameras. Um, Also talking about things of this not being kind of satirical of times. I I do think it's way more subtle, but I think there are still things that are there in terms of whether it be artificial intelligence slash robotics. When you talk about things like drones, things like that. Um, Also, there is a lot of emphasis on video cameras in this movie where if you aren't looking for it, you won't find it. But if you look at Alex Murphy's house from when the original scene happens and the explosion happens he has cameras placed on his house and if you notice there are a lot of other houses Mm -hmm. where police can actually access things from a video camera that is on everybody's house so they can see surveillance yeah i didn't really get that was that supposed to be just a plot device so that way he could rewatch it because i don't really see that happening in the suburbs yeah okay but i feel like was that intentional or was that inverted i think it was intentional because in terms of talk about like the nsa and places like that where they can grab everything off your phone it's just become a lot more advanced and accepted and i think that is a big part of this film and why it was made and why there's a reason for it as you're talking about the debate of current topics of robotics being allowed on the street i think it goes a lot deeper than just the kind of silly plot line that they have of michael keaton who i actually really enjoyed his performance because he's a lot more calmed down but he has goals in mind and just the way he plays it very slow and slow paced um i enjoyed but i there's just a lot of things about this movie that really did it for me and, and the best for me um the 20 minute scene where he's solving his own murder was one of the best scenes for me of any film from last year because um just the way it goes from him starting at point a and using all the information he's able to have in his one kind of unit I feel like it's almost a glimpse into the future about how things could be someday of it's going to go forget trial and all that. They're going to be able to link together piece by piece, every piece of evidence and make a quick decision right then. And he's pretty much almost more like, I feel like RoboCop's character in this movie is much more like somebody like Judge Dredd, than yeah, actual RoboCop, but yeah. like he makes decisions on people and he's definitely... Um, I feel like a lot less human than they try to make him be. Even though his voice sounds more human and he is more human, he's pretty cold-blooded later in this film. Like in terms of him shooting people who he knows are guilty and can't forgive or whatever that. There, this movie doesn't go all the way just to be like, but he's human still, so it's okay. He has well, a side the, to him. The ending pretty much suggests that. Yeah. Well, it does, but there are still parts of him that are not as human as he originally was when he was Alex Murphy before he was turned into this RoboCop unit. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, can I ask you a question? Please. I want to know from everybody. Um, well, I guess I'll start with a digression and then I'll ask a question. Mm-hmm. But um, 
One of my least favorite aspects of this movie are the action scenes. So that's probably another reason why I was not a fan of this movie in general. Because if it, I mean, obviously it's more than just an action film, but that is obviously there are set pieces where we are you need to be invested in the action, otherwise it's going to go right over your head. And for me, I thought this was one of the worst action I've seen in quite some time because it had this weird fetish for uh, like first per- person shooter uh, cam, which I didn't get because mm-hmm. I'm like. Like watching these scenes are like it's it's akin to like that friend that you had when you were a child and you went over to his house to play video games, mm-hmm. but he only had single player games and he wouldn't let you play. Like yeah. it was just weirdly, uh, I don't know, distant. You had asshole friends. I, I always <laughs> let my friends play. Wow. Oh, <laughs> uh, but it had so many of those scenes where, like, I'm like, is this why is this happening? Like, other than because it's cool for a minute, and then it's just kind of like. I thought lazy because then you don't actually have to stage the scene. You only have to shoot the camera and point what's in that actual purview. I mean, it's not something like a John Wick or something where the choreography is happening from all angles. Just fill in in post. Exactly. And um, another thing, one of the worst action scenes I've seen in any movie for me is when he goes to the warehouse to get the Anton character. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know whose idea it was to light that entire scene with like the flares and whatnot, or the flare bomb. I don't know what they are. I'm not a weapons expert, um, but that was just one of the ugliest and just ridiculously unexciting action scenes I've ever seen because you can't actually make out what's happening, and yet it goes on for like ten minutes. So hmm. I, I don't know. I just, I just wanted to know what you guys thought about the action scenes themselves. When RoboCop crashes through the lobby of Omnicorp and he's yes. fighting the the trio or number of like Ed two oh nines. The description that immediately left in my mind and like echoing your sentiments was video game violence, which nowadays can either be used as a compliment, depending on like the substance of the actual film, or as a pejorative. In this case, I think it's the latter. Because it just Can you explain what the word pejorative means? It means an insult. Okay. Like, like general insult. Um it's it's it, it it didn't feel like it had a purpose other than to, to like be like a like a violence porn shot for, for the Ed 209s. For me, there was no real thought as to why these characters would do the actions they were doing. It was choo, like, choo, choo. you know it would be cool if we had this happen and we had this happen and we had this happen. So somebody go write the scene in which those three things happen in that order. Like it's just there was no, I don't know, it was just so weirdly. Like they had the classic motorcycle shot. They had the classic head shot, you know, and it was just like a checklist and... Did, um, did anyone else think it was kind of weird that when the Ed 209 was about to, like, shoot down RoboCop and Lewis, like, stepped in the way and is like, target obscured that the the Ed 209 didn't just, like, decide to amend Lewis's status as being, like, aiding and abetting, like, a target and make him a target, too? Well, he's a robot. He doesn't have that programming. Oh, that's a stupid <laughs> robot. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't really necessarily take any issue with the action, but yeah. I, I, that's just me personally. Yeah. There were parts of it that I'm kind of agree with Nick that I thought the action shading with Antoine um, was the probably least well done of any of the action scenes. Uh, going back to kind of the original scene that I was talking about, where he solves his own murder and whatever, the early scene when he's being announced, and that's kind of the the weird where he goes from being more human to not human at all because they bring down his dopamine levels, which was kind of silly, but whatever. That worked for the plot. Yeah. And he finds the guy in the audience, and I love that part of the scene because it goes back to the Samuel Jackson character as he's saying, we would have just had all these Detroit police officers standing around, and there is this murderer mm-hmm. and rapist who's just standing there in plain view and nobody would notice. And now this guy who has unlimited ability to use his brain to 
decide when one person is a criminal. I mean, it's just, but it also gets into the point where he was a machine at that point. And that was kind of a scary part of this film for me when Gary Oldman, who ultimately is a good character, he's Mm -hmm. a, a you know positive character he's working for science he's not wanting to create weapons and that's uh, the points made in the in the film he pretty much gets forced into a corner and changes around the inner workings of his brain that is still real and the brain that they created and mm-hmm. you know were able to put together with his original brain and he does things and he thinks that it's he's the one doing it but actually it's the machine doing it mm-hmm. and that's definitely at least an aspect of this film which is one of the one of those sci-fi things that you see something and it's horrifying to think that that actually could be an ability because what what recourse would you have to not if you can't even use your brain the way you think you should be able to but you think you're having these thoughts like what 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 is the recourse that you have because you, you can't decide later that you're not thinking that because you wouldn't have those i was I thought that was brilliant. And there was a lot of other scenes of this movie that just in terms of like beautiful sci-fi scenes, the scene when he's working on his brain, kind of the color palette. Mm -hmm. uh, I just ate it up and loved it. Something I thought was quite honestly stupid, (laughs) just just really dumb that I didn't like was early on in the movie in the hospital when they're, when they're working on all the patients and they're giving them their new arms and their new legs. And the one guy picks up the guitar and he doesn't crush it. Well, not only does he not crush it, but he just fucking starts playing this beautiful song like he knew. Like, yeah, it was you, weird. Like that's supposed there, to be his first time using the prosthetic. There's gonna be a learning curve. With mm-hmm. the, you know what I mean? I, that was the whole point of that scene, though, where he's trying to get to the point, and I think that the scene ended up kind of getting to this, where your brain is what plays the guitar. Your brain is what operates your hands. You have the ability, so you're able to play this. But there was a lot of things that came into him not being able to play it. And emotion steers your aptitude and how you yeah. actually perform. I wanted to return to a comparison that you made earlier between okay. Robocop and Judge Dredd. Okay. We were talking about, like, elaborate on that a little bit more. You're talking about how... Just that I feel like his character in this movie, his character almost makes decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the problem is is that you almost always think that the character in the first original film is a machine and he's not really making these decisions where they try to push that he's someone making these decisions and that almost makes him out to be like an executioner at parts during this because he, as I was saying, he is not like a perfect human and mm-hmm. even though towards the end they try to paint it as that, but he shoots people without any hesitation in this movie and it's just because he's doing that. Like, the implication that this RoboCop is like Judge Dredd mm-hmm. makes this film much more terrifying, in my opinion. The original RoboCop was such an aggressively dystopian film. This one is more of a casually implicit like dystopian film. Mm-hmm. Where like the comparison with Judge Dredd is like in the film Dredd, Dredd is the extension of an authoritarian, like post-apocalyptic, like government, mm-hmm. where it has to be that way. Like he has to be the executioner because there's just not enough time for a judicial process. Because this is not a matter of civility; this is a matter of the survival of the human race. Right. Whereas in RoboCop, it's just like giving him that same carte blanche to like execute law, but things are not nearly as bad as that is. So you're basically giving him the power to just decide who lives and who dies whenever. Depending uh, on his mood. I, I will say this, and I feel like the discussion that we were just t- talking about with Judge Dredd and the comparisons, 
feel like this in this last thing I'll say, and we'll get to ratings for this because we need to get onto the uh, comparison mm-hmm. film as we've kind of already been doing. But uh, I feel like there is way more depth of this film than originally people gave to it. That it's not just a complete poor, poorly written story. There is way more uh, depth to the characters and to the storylines that are in this film. I feel like it's generated a lot more discussion than even I thought it was going to so far in the like last 15 minutes we've been talking about it. But I'll agree with you in that it, it was written a little more in depth. My problem with this was the characters themselves were comparably to the characters of the first film, boring, just boring. Yeah. There were, there was no, there were, the characters didn't stand out like they did from the first well, one to me. If you talk about taking the source material and making, I mean, I feel like this is what Zack Snyder's Watchmen was like. And if Paul Verhoeven would have made a Watchmen movie, it would have been way more fun and interesting, even though it is a dark graphic novel. It's still, this is like continuing on that path of these kind of depressing themes in the films that I I should do a Watchmen episode. All right. Well, thank you for throwing. <laughs> and when we you have a choice to what we'll do, you can choose that. No, no, I have other choices too. But okay, <laughs> let's get to ratings here, and then we'll get deeper into the comparisons between the 2014 and the 1987 RoboCops. Go ahead, Nick. Um, yeah. So, like I said, I was not a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the uh, new things that this remake brings to the table is what hurts this film for me. Like, if it had actually been like a shot for shot remake, or you know, like what we call just like the carbon copy or whatever i might have even liked it more because then at least it was just you know it's not broken so it's not trying to fix it type approach but um, the only good thing i would say about this film is that i thought that the the one inclusion to the remake which is the gary oldman character is something that actually did quite work for me and he was my favorite part of the whole movie but uh, unfortunately you know you said there was like depth i think you're right in the sense that it is digging a bigger hole but it's not filling it with anything substantial so it's like it is trying to be more, uh, to have more depth, and yet it can't actually follow through on that. So for me, it's not horrible, but it's just in no way a good film. So I give it one and a half out of five stars. Okay, go ahead, Toussaint. Um, this remake feels like a incomplete emulation of like the the framework of the the original film, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's nearly as smart as the original. I feel like it just kind of like stuffs a bunch of topical ideas around it without actually like building anything substantial around those ideas so i uh i thought it was a it wasn't a good remake but it's good by today's standards i guess okay yeah so what what is your rating for this i'd give it a uh 2.5 okay yeah very good go ahead kenny uh yeah I, i've kind of said a couple of times already that it it didn't live up to the the original but it's not for a, a lack of trying or writing mm-hmm. um i'll agree with you alex i feel like it was written better but um it just it, it just it was just missing what i had talked about earlier about the the first one it didn't have that campy kind of humor to it and and mix that uh, nick going back to what you said earlier i think my my issue, I didn't, I didn't have an issue that I could dissect with the action scenes, but my problem with the action scenes was the fact that this was just another typical movie nowadays, another typical action movie that didn't stand out in any way. And I think that was the PG-13 rating kind of. Well, that's possible, it. but I, what I like so much 
about the 87 RoboCop was the physical stunts and, and things of that nature. The, the, the lack of CGI from the original one made it so much better that this movie, the, the, uh, the 2014 version, the CGI just kind of made it blend in with everything else that would come out nowadays and nothing else really stood out. And I, it, I said it a few minutes ago, the character development never really unfolded for me and it just didn't excite me in the same way. So, so let's I, let's get a rating for me. I, I I'll give it a, a two and a half out of five. So you and Toussaint both gave it the same rating as you gave Chappie. So that was interesting. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't even thinking about that. Well, okay. Well, you have to say it for I, I felt like the 1987 RoboCop was way better than Chappie. Uh huh. This one, I I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was even that much better than Chappie. It's a Chappie. Okay. I will disagree with you guys, and I will not be putting this on our shit list because I you have noticed already did very much enjoy the remake oh we noticed and that's okay for different reasons uh it's a very to me different film than the 1987 original uh it's trying for similar kind of things in terms of trying to be satire even though it does not do that nearly as well as the original did but for me it didn't have to because this is a fun kind of action movie if this movie had been a summer movie last year and it came out kind of amongst the other regular summer movies, I feel like it would have gotten lost, but because this movie came out in February, 2014, the death month. Yeah. Which it was, but I was telling Nick that this film did way better at the box office. than I thought it did. It actually made $224 million, mm. which surprised me. And also got me a little concerned because I love this movie for what it was, but it, that kind of number from a February release always screams sequel to me. So I, I'm, I'm hoping it's not going to have, cause I think it's totally fine. It ends it, it gives a, it leaves a little bit of a door open, but it doesn't have a you know cliffhanger or a direct move into a sequel. And I, I wouldn't want to see one. I enjoyed it for what it was. Even people who acted in this film, and I will agree with you that their their characters weren't necessarily amazing. Some of them, at least, I did think think some of the characters were good. Like Michael Keaton, even though he's playing kind of a bland person, he's playing what his character is. Even Joel Kinnaman, who is a horrible actor, this is a perfect role for him because he's playing a robot and his horrible, I don't want to say like language, but the horrible way he speaks kind of gets pulled away because they changed his kind of voice for some of the film. And even later, he does a good job of kind of keeping that weird between human and robot thing going because he does have that aura about him already, at least to me. Um, I, I really enjoyed this film. It was up until recently in my top 15 from last year. I was a big fan. You can all give me those fucking weird eyes as you are right now. But I enjoyed it, and I'm going to continue to enjoy it. And if I'm the only one, then I'll be on the island alone. So that's fine. You should have brought Red Foreman back. That's all I can say. Yeah. I give this a four out of five, and we can move on from it. Just the 2014 version and move into the comparison. You brought up Red Foreman. I think that's something that helps the 1987 version now, a lot of people that were in that, like Kentwood, Kurtwood, sorry, uh, Kurtwood, Kurtwood Smith, yeah, Kurtwood Smith, uh, Miguel Ferrer. There are people who we can remember. We've seen them. Miguel Ferrer is in a lot of movies. Uh, is in Traffic. Played great characters in other films. Um, you, you talk about Kurtwood Smith. His character on that '70s show is iconic. Yeah, and he's a memorable person, but I think now that makes sense because he's an iconic character from the original RoboCop. He is, at least in my mind, 
hands down the best character from that movie. So well, even the police chief, you compare the two police yeah. chiefs and, and read from the first one, it's so much more entertaining. Mm. I think that's what we're, what we're basically circling around, and I'm just going to dive right in and say it. The best entry point for a comparison between these two films for me are the uh, nobody in the remake in Omnicorp, it, to me at least, anywhere near as interesting or engaging to watch as all of the villains in mm-hmm. the original RoboCop. And you need to at least want to watch their presence because otherwise you're not involved in the conflict at hand. And uh, I got to say, you said you praised Michael Keaton, but I thought he was actually pretty bad and yeah. kind of wasted in this. He, and he was very him. miscast. And it actually, <laughs> watching him in this made me appreciate Birdman even more. Because <laughs> unfortunately, Michael oh Keaton... Wow. Unfortunately, Michael Keaton is that actor, which is just, he's not a great actor. Terrible? Bad? No, he's not horrible, but he just, he overacts, and like, when you put him next to like an Edward Norton, it just becomes even more obvious how just mediocre he is. Well, apparently you didn't see Multiplicity, because he acted acted the shit out of that movie. (laughs) I was just going to bring that up. That's why I hate Michael Keaton. He is actually really good. If you want to see an 80s movie, which he does a really good job in, see Mr. Mom. It sounds like a stupid premise. (laughs) It sounds like a stupid premise. No, it is a stupid premise. (laughs) It's actually casually sexist now. Yeah, another terrible movie. I I fucking hate Michael Keaton. I can't stand him. You don't like the original Batman? I just prefer him to be in a comedy because at least then he's not taking it as seriously as he does in like films like this where he thinks he's giving it. But I think he does a great job as playing the delegating boss because if you look at it, he is the end of the line. He's the top guy. Well, but even that's okay, his notes on a page. That's not his okay. Performance. But he when he's trying to explain in the court hearing that the reason why they should allow robots. First of all, he know you know why he's doing it. It's for financial reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the same reason they're doing that in the original RoboCop is the company wants to make more money. Mm-hmm. He struggles at that. He cannot, you know, say he's the only person, but he because he, he's not a good public speaker. He's not good at making decisions like that. And he has all these people around him, whether they be Jennifer Ely or Jay Baruchel, who work for him, who make these decisions. And that's why I feel like their kind of group of characters is a good kind of upper echelon group where they're not always making the best decisions, but they're totally thinking only of a corporate mentality, which again is something I liked about this movie. Every time that law is, is in effect, they lose millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only that, okay. I want to bring up another point then, because um, if we look at like, if we're comparing again, Mm -hmm. the villainous uh, antagonist in both films, one thing that I, I didn't like about the remake was that I thought that, What's what's great about the original is that it commits to those antagonists. They are horrible people from the very start. I thought the remake was weirdly too sympathetic to Michael Keaton's character in the sense that it was trying to not make him out to be a horrible... I'm sorry, but I do think that the film was somewhat on his side and trying to add a quote-unquote impartial look at this dilemma. Let's make him black. What? Like that? That's, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yet, when you get to the last, I'm really sorry. I thought you were talking about Michael, Michael Keaton's no, character. I'm talking about his like, quote no. with uh, Robocop. Yeah, like, no. yeah. I, like, I got you now. No, but I mean, some of the things he says are, are a little too astute uh, for us to just completely gloss over. And what the worst part, and this is why I feel like he's actually miscasted, is I agree that yes, like his 
personality, Michael Keaton, just his general acting is well suited to like that hearing scene. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, then we have to get to the climax of the film where he just, I don't know, I guess the scriptwriters just flip the switch and then he becomes the outright villain that he never really was all the way up until now. I but he does, he, he's doing a horrible job being that villain because he's not that kind of guy. Well, I get, and that's, of course, where two different perspectives, you either think he's being a bad villain or you just think he's a bad actor not being able to sell no. it and so it just kind of comes down I have a hard time ever thinking Michael Keaton's a bad actor because I love the original Batman so I think I mean like I'm, what's like, that well not to get into a whole other movie but I mean you don't think part of the fun of Birdman was poking fun at the idea no I, I did okay. I have a hard time I have nostalgic memories of Michael Keaton in the corner. yeah I mean he, he's not a good actor and I mean if you look at Bruce Wayne's scenes in the original Batman like where he's saying you want to get nuts let's yeah. get nuts that's terrible but um, I, I don't know it's just hard for me I love and also too another thing is because Michael Keaton's been out of Hollywood for so long which is a big thing about Birdman it was nice to see him in something that wasn't nothing for me so but Birdman was to Michael Keaton what Black Swan was to what's her name from Beetlejuice Winona Ryder Winona Ryder because she because Winona Ryder plays like that that over the hill like ballerina (laughs) who never really got her chance at the stardom and that kind of reminds me of Winona Ryder huh well I mean she, she was a star when she was young it's just yeah she yeah. just couldn't stop stealing things yeah, so. yeah. yeah. uh well sorry Mo- moving back to robocop <laughs> we, we've gotten off topic here a little bit yeah um yeah i feel like these are in when you say their stories are similar that makes it sound like they'd be easier to compare but i feel like they're a little more difficult to compare i mean you can compare the, uh, some of the characters in the movie let's just talk about really quickly um the characters in the film uh, I think Kenny even made a list. Do you have a list of characters and who they would, their opposite would be between the 1987 version and the 2014 version? Uh, yeah, I, I did. You, okay. want, you want me to just kind of... what a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's almost like we planned it that way. Um, so j- just read off and let's just see what everybody thinks about those characters and comparing them. And let, let's start with the side characters and then we'll end with um, Peter Weller versus Joel Kinnaman and their kind of characters that way. All right, uh... So you want to start with, uh, just for instance, right off, right off the top of the movie, his partner, yeah. Alex Murphy's partner, uh, Nancy Allen in the 87 version, um, as opposed to, his name's Michael Kenneth Williams? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right off the bat, it's just, it's not even that Nancy Allen played a, a huge part in the first RoboCop, but she was just... Actually, she kind of did. She was... Yeah. Um, she was love interest. Well, she was a lot more she memorable. love interest, what? What? Was she? she was not okay. uh-huh. she she kind of filled this is like the Kingsman conversation I had with Alex where yeah. just because a man and a woman are pleasant towards each other okay she was the mean she that. was the, the if you're saying she's a love interest hold on I gotta say this right now <laughs> then that means that you're saying that she wants to fuck a robot no so since we're talking about Michael Keaton do you guys feel like his character was it was, it was pretty close to Dick Jones from the no, no, I don't think they're the same kind of characters. No. Dick Jones seems a lot more conniving and making these scheming plans. They have the evil villains of the 80s where... where Michael, Michael Keaton's character to... is much more pathetic. Yeah. He's yeah. running around trying with a chicken with his head cut off because he's just trying to make this all not fall apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, and I feel like Dick Jones' character is a lot more of a prominent character than Michael Keaton is, except for in the last scene of uh, the uh, remake. Well, mm-hmm. let's talk about... Alex Murphy's wife, then, 
who was, who, not, who was not, non-existent in the original film. Non-existent. non-existent yeah. and they, she was a huge part. Other than the one scene where we, the only thing we see is her trying to get Alex Murphy to have sex with her the one morning. So that's all we know about her. So that's weird. Uh, we, we talked about the police chief. Yeah. Um, Reed being a lot more entertaining, I thought. Um, how about the, uh, well, you touched on it earlier, Clarence Boddicker. As opposed to Antoine Vallone. Well, and, and that's not even a con- yeah. nope. Considering Antoine was probably the worst character of the remake, and yet Clarence was probably the best character. Yeah, of the right. Original. But that's that's the point. Yeah. yeah, that that was kind of that character. But he also is a very much more of a minuscule side character than Clarence Bodiger, who's a major. I mean, if you think about just the scenes that he's in, he's in. Please. Almost every scene of that movie. Well, the worst part about Anton is I wouldn't even call him minuscule. I would literally call him like inconsequential and unnecessary. Like, what is the point of? Well, he's not. Him? He's not the primary antagonist in this movie whatsoever. So I'm saying, what what purpose does he serve? Because he's so uninteresting. But he he gets. I, I think he's the antagonist for the origin part of the story. Okay. And they needed to make him go away to but, get away, well, away from that. They needed a better script because then they should have bridged those two worlds much better or somehow okay. woven just like Clarence is actually on the payroll. But how could you not the... say the worlds are mixed together? The only way that he would have ever gotten to Antoine is because of his RoboCop abilities. No, no, I'm saying that the villain of Anton... Think about how the original um, Clarence Bod- uh, Boddicker's character, yeah. he's on the... He gets. Um, he's working with uh, what's the guy's name? That's what I wanted to mention. Like the the difference between the antagonistic forces in the first film versus the remake right. is that the first film is is commenting on the collusion between like corporate interests and criminal yes. interests, whereas in the remake it's the collusion between criminal interests and the police force. Mm-hmm. Like like Omnicorp, as much as those guys are dicks in like the the remake, yeah. they toe the line. Oh, they well, follow the rules. They, they, they do and they don't because uh, I will right, say that's that... that's what I mean. They, 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 no, because I'm completely with that just because okay. that's why you have all those scenes of like the hearings and whatnot. They're mm-hmm. not breaking the law. They're just trying to Stretching it. bend the law to their... Whereas the uh, the people from the original, they are out and out criminals. They, they are the military. They're doing shady shit and getting paid millions of bucks for it. Um, how about let's just jump to Alex Murphy then? Who do you think played the better Alex Murphy, Peter Weller or? Someone? I I have to say that's the only one where I'm gonna oh, hard don't, hardcore don't go with the that, yeah <laughs> I I got to man. That I, all I, depends on whether you think that RoboCop is better as a a stoic robotic force or as a more humanistic character. I personally, and even though he is the main character, I feel that RoboCop is more of a side character in the original than the, the new one where he is the clear main character. And I, yeah, I could totally see that. And mm-hmm. I think that's why the first one works for me, because he does become this non-entity, which becomes like a corporate pawn in this entire, like you were saying, uh, Toussaint, battle between the uh, corporate interest and uh, military. He's interest. a man completely consumed by his role, and that is the enforcement Get, of the law. I think giving RoboCop agency in the uh, in this remake is actually one of the worst decisions that script makes, because then you're letting this kind of emotional story, which is way too shallow to actually be affecting... Uh, <laughs> override uh, all the satire and whatnot yeah. that Robocop's, he was trying to do. Robocop's stoicism and his complete lack of like human nuance in the first film almost seems like a commentary on like the bureaucracy of law. Yeah. Of like you have to follow it wherever it, wherever it goes, no matter if it's human or not. But we, we, we talked about how ridiculous the, the Moose character was in Chappie last week. Moose. And, and this is... It says I, a lot that 
that director decided to do a homage to one of the worst parts of the original <laughs> robot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but uh, the RoboCop character has parallels to the Moose. I guess the Moose character would have parallels to the new RoboCop since it came out a year later. But I feel like that sort of kind of putting man and machine together more than just a man controlling a machine and actually being physically what it is doing. I feel like that's just the thing to me that is fascinating about this movie. And it's what makes me say that I like the Joel Kinnaman RoboCop probably better because I feel like there is way more to that character than just the original RoboCop who, like you said, Nick is just a pawn. Right. No, yeah, for sure. I want to actually ask a question uh, or not a question, but one of the things we could definitely compare between the two, and I'll even say some stuff in favor of the remake, is, uh-huh. um, of course, the special effects. I have to admit, obviously, most of the CGI and whatnot in the remake looks a lot better in 2014 than uh, some of the effects used in the 1987 movie, like the, uh, the what's the... The Ed 209. Yeah, the Ed 209. The, the, the stare scene. <laughs> but, although that is way more entertaining <laughs> oh, no, it, how it, bad it is. But, but it's entertaining for and it's good for right. different reasons. But one thing I gotta say is I was actually kind of surprised how I would say, quote-unquote, bad some of the effects in RoboCop are because one thing I've noticed from my Paul Verhoeven trek is that Pretty much after RoboCop, he's one of his most consistently great things is how well his effects age. Like mm-hmm. I, that stairs, you know, case scene doesn't or whatever. But there's some <laughs> stuff that he does with CGI later on after five or so years. Well, like ten or like a decade and whatnot that is literally looks better than a lot of CGI. Well, CGI day. had came a long way even at that point. I mean, right. if, if you talk about anything before Jurassic Park, it's usually shit. So, <laughs> but another thing I want to bring up, shit. yeah, yeah. Uh, but one thing I want to say is that. My favorite kind of like, I want to say like special effect in either two films was actually seeing the reveal of uh, in the original film of the man behind the suit when he takes off mm-hmm. the um, the helmet. That, that scene in, won that movie an Oscar. I can totally see why out of the blue because that impressed me even more than any of the CGI done in the remake. Originally. Mm-hmm. That was a badass scene. Yeah, there's nothing about the RoboCop or re- uh, remake that is ahead of its time where that no. was totally. On a different yes. wavelength. Yes. The only moment that I think that the original, re- like the remake actually like dips into kind of the practical grossness of the original is when um, RoboCop's chassis is finally like, like taken off and all you see is that he has his lungs mm. and he has his right his, hand, his right hand, his esophagus and his face and his brain and stuff. I thought that was like a very... Um, it was almost a Cronenberg-esque sort of like body horror or something. It was sort of definitely a very scientific e looking scene that I actually enjoy that mm-hmm. scene a lot. Um, it was horrifying. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those futuristic things that you could see where they can keep people alive even if they're not, they shouldn't be. And it's like you talked about, we talked about the guy playing the guitar. He's just an arm and he has robotics. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I could totally see in 2028 being realistic, having things like that. Oh, but yeah. Um, yeah, that scene was scary. They were like, that should be a dead guy right there. He's not. So, but it was kind of weird how that happened too. And then his facial expressions during that reminded me hardcore of the haunted mansion. Have you guys ever been on or seen it Yeah, where like the faces are moving and it's just, because he, he can't move his neck, he's just like staying there. What, what's happening? Ah! It was kind of, kind of comical, but that's okay. Do you think that there's a, there's a, there's something to be said that they killed Murphy in the original movie and they chose not to kill him in the remake, where he's just kind of like catatonic from his, from his car bomb thing. 
Because I feel like uh, that is one of the things where I feel like you talk about the way Paul Verhoeven directed the first film. We as the audience are able to make the leap that pretty much anything is possible in this world where the 2014 RoboCop tries to be way more realistic in Mm -hmm. terms of the way the movie moves about. And that is kind of an interesting difference because um, I feel like that probably and maybe yeah, like if this is what you were touching on, but in 2014 it might be almost too hard pressed to believe because it's trying to be realistic that somebody would die and then they brought him back to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then that's, people are yeah. going to be, Oh yeah. Cause it's way more of a Christ resurrected. Alex re- got shot religion. in the brain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. He was straight up dead. Yeah. So, uh, let's get final thoughts on the comparison. I, th- I feel like everybody should get one chance on the floor. I know everyone's feelings, but let's get one last thing. If you want to put it in there. Yeah. I mean, after talking, I want to say that I still think they're pretty much the same film. <laughs> um, I, mean, I can see where there are differences. It's not like I'm blind to that, but, um, the differences don't make the actual overarching plot, uh, any different. And that's what the weirdest part is. Like if you're going to change these individual elements, then like a formula, if you change X and Y to different mm-hmm. values, you're going to get a different, uh, you know equation so i don't understand why it then ended up becoming the same film after all these individual parts were changed um but none of the changes for me were interesting some of them were even like less progressive and it's 24 i mean gender bending the nancy allen character you know like it's just a very machismo film and i think what's great is that paul verhoeven was making a film that made fun of that like you said you know that reagan era Mm -hmm. capitalism and uh wealth of excess and whatnot um, and yet it was also aimed at children, which I think is a very telling thing because what's funny is that this movie is PG-13 and mm-hmm. it is aimed at children in my opinion. We it's have literally aimed at people who uh, grew up along is, with the it, remake, well, with the original. Yeah. No, I think it's... Well, and, and the PG-13 part was not... It was supposed to be an R-rated movie and the studio got in and said, no. I no. Know, I'm, I'm only judging the final product. Okay. So I'm saying that this movie was aimed at 13-year-old boys in my opinion because you have these first-person shooter fetish going on for all the action scenes. Not only that, but that training sequence, that is like the epitome of like we need to have some great meaningless violence that nobody has to think about, but it's going to look really cool because they had that rock and roll music going when Jackie Earl Hale, like it was like literally like, um, that's what I mean. It's aimed at 13 year old boys. Cause it's like a glorified laser tag experience, you know, mm-hmm. like just nothing, none of this mattered and none of it. Worked. That's a good description of it. Laser yeah. tag. Yeah. So, and so that's why I mean, like it's just, it's aimed at a smart, uh, a, a, a younger and kind of dumber audience. And that's what hurt it. It's like, if it, if it wanted to do satire, it needed to be rated R. If it wanted to be a comment on something else, it needed to go all out, and it doesn't. And uh, so that's why uh, when I look at the two, I just obviously prefer the first. Yeah, and that, there's no wrong, nothing wrong with that. What about you, Tucson? Give us the last kind of thing about both these movies. I think that Verhoeven's RoboCop 2, the remake of RoboCop, is Coke to New Coke. The remake feels like a, a diluted version of the original mm-hmm. and i feel like it doesn't nearly go as far as it needs to in order to step out of the shadow of its predecessor i feel like this is a film like contrary to what nick thinks i think that this remake not not insulting you i was like i'm just saying it's like this is my perspective I'm just kidding it's all good and it's like i feel like this film was created primarily with the purpose of capitalizing on the memories of the original mm-hmm. Robocop and not trying to say anything or, or distinguish itself from its predecessor. So I'm going to have to say that I, I, I enjoyed the original Robocop a lot better. Okay. Yeah. Kenny, you also enjoyed the original more as we saw I, from the ratings, but yeah, I, I like this movie so much less even just talking about it now. Damn. I, 
we sat here as a group for the last, I don't know how long we've been talking, but the first half of the conversation about the original RoboCop, it was just so much more... So happy and yeah, excited. It was happy and entertained. We were all thrilled to be talking about it. And just like the mood of the second one, the Christopher remake, Nolan and the dick, and down everyone goes. Well, just like the, the remake, the 2014 version of RoboCop... We got gritty and serious and dark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we... The whole Michael Shannon's head got pulled off, and everyone's like, "What the fuck?" The whole conversation just went from a ten down to about a five. Yeah, and and, and that's just what this movie did. It just wasn't. And you know what? I, I watched them back to back last night, and your dopamine levels got turned down. Yes, <laughs> I, I just that is mid, midway through the through the. Through the remake, I just was like, that, "This is just not doing it for me." Yeah. After after watching the original one, now maybe if you watch them years in between, maybe you don't have this effect. But when you watch them back to back, it's just a glaring, just just lack of any interest in in the remake. So yeah, yeah. I, okay, my my radiance dropped. Yeah, well, that, I'm giving it a two now. Oh, oh less less than Chappie. Less, less wow, I I just yeah. I just can't agree with that. But that's okay. That's your journey. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I gave them the same ratings. I love both these movies for different reasons. Uh, I do think they're very much different from the other. Um, although they have similarities, obviously they're the you know, same character. Um, I feel like the new film did a good job of updating the character and making it a different and a different story where the first film was about a human that was in a robot who was made for a company um, basically that that he was a robotic person who did not have any real personality to it even late in the film he didn't have too much to it other than the one the gun thing which connects the uh, Alex Murphy character to Robocop where I feel like the humanization of his character, even though he does have uh, a less human in terms of his battle scenes. Um, I, I love the idea of controlling humans levels, even if it is moving down his dopamine levels, which is kind of a silly plot point. Would just... you go see a RoboCop sequel? If, if they made a sequel to this movie, which is entirely possible because of how much it made the studio back and then some, um, I would go see it because i think i don't think it would be a good movie i'll put there <laughs> i i think this 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 universe of this robocop universe only had one film to offer mm-hmm. and i think a second one and if you look at the robocop 2 and robocop 3 those are terrible movies yeah those weren't directed by Verhoeven though no no but that's actually something i brought up to alex the other day like that's how you know that like the america at large missed the point of Verhoeven's film almost every single one of his films has uh Sequels. Most of them are directed, you know, video and whatnot. Even fucking They're, Showgirls has a Showgirls, sequel. <laughs> uh, Basic Instinct, Starship Trooper, and RoboCop all have sequels. And of course, he didn't direct any of those because that's he was never trying to start a new universe. He mm-hmm. just wanted to play in the sandbox for one film. And nobody realized why these films worked. It was not because they were just quote unquote having fun, but there was also something underneath that edge that's just great to kind of peel back. Not that it would, but I, I will. I'll, I'll put this out there: if they did make a sequel and it was an R-rated version, which I don't think they would, I, I would be interested to see it just to see what Jose Padilla would do with his R rating that he wanted from the first film. Um, but who who knows if there will be a sequel? I hope there isn't. Um, it's very telling that. Jose Perdia, he, he's the, the director of the RoboCop remake, right? Yeah. Up until now, his name has not been mentioned at all. And all we've been talking about is Paul Ber- Verhoeven. Yeah. Um, but he well, did. he made it all possible. Yeah. 
uh, that that is no, true. I'm saying like in general. Like, yeah. Well, and it's funny if you find out the origin of this film. He was actually in the studios trying to decide what projects to do next. And the studio executive he was talking to had a poster of the original RoboCop. And he said, I love that movie. And I know you love it too. Trying to get an in. And they decided to make it. And that's totally out of left field deciding to make the movie. That is always a great foundation to make a movie off of. I love that movie. Okay, you get money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's unfortunately how this has become. Yes, exactly. Um, All right. Well, let's move on from RoboCop and into our week in review. Um, I think we should go in reverse order because we've gone around the table and same thing. So let's move backwards and start with Kenny on his week in review and uh, see what he watched this last week. And start with the guy who didn't watch anything this we week. We watched something, yeah, didn't you? No, we we watched um, what was it called? The, Rush. Rush. Yeah. The the Formula One movie about the rivalry between the the two top drivers back in the 70s, and the German right? with the great ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, 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 if you're into racing, yeah, it's a good movie. I'm not sure. How was that received anyway? Did it, did uh, it got really good uh, reviews, and even somebody like Nick, who is not a huge yeah, racing I, fan, he enjoyed it. I don't get into racing sports, like any kind of you know athletic competition mm-hmm. whatsoever, and I was actually a pretty big fan of it. I mean, it didn't go anywhere near like my top ten or something like that, but I enjoyed it from start to finish. Huh. All right. Yeah, it was it was a good movie. Um, I would suggest it to anybody. But that, outside of that, I, I do. You, I don't know if you have anything you want because I watched well, it with you. I want to say it's an interesting movie that always stands out to me because a fun fact is that um, Paul Greengrass was supposed to direct Rush and Ron Howard was supposed to direct Captain Phillips, and they ended up directing the opposite in the end, which I always think is interesting. But and that's how it should be, I think. Yeah, I, I feel like Paul Greengrass doing Rush would have been really awkward. It would have been. Yeah, I can't. I honestly cannot. Like, I did not know that, so I'm yeah. really trying to picture that. Like, I'm coming up short. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I love Rush, and I've been trying to get you to since yeah. you're a big racing fan. Big racing fan. Plus, it has Olivia Wilde in it, so it's a, it's a winner in my book. Okay, oh, of course. I must see it. Yeah. <laughs> she is a good actress. Yeah, she is. Oh, That's what not it's going for Nick. It's not only based on looks. We're not that shallow of a show. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I, I had a very slow week as far as watching anything. That's that's it. I got yeah. nothing else. All right, RoboCop. I watched two RoboCops. Can we talk about those? Can we uh, talk about par- them real quick? Apparently, we just mentioned that for an hour and a half, so <laughs> I don't think we need to go back into that. Uh, Tucson, what about you? Um, I went to go see Run All Night with my dad. I just saw that today. I just saw that today. Oh, oh it's like we saw it together. <laughs> Did oh. we? It's funny because Tucson, when he mentioned this. Um, thought he had a, an in for connecting this to RoboCop because he thought Peter Weller, who played RoboCop in the original, was Ed Harris's character in Run All Night when he absolutely was not. That's so. You mentioned that I said that Joel Kinnaman was in both of them. Oh, that that is actually, that is true. That so. is true, yes. But you think all white people look the same? <laughs> no, I don't. That's not true. You're a liar. Uh, um, I really enjoyed Run All Night. It was uh, really like really enjoyed. I I enjoyed it. Okay, that's basically I, that, I amend my my enthusiasm. And say okay, I, I enjoyed it. I it, I didn't know anything about it before going into it, and on its face, it just looks like another entry into the emerging subgenre of grizzled over the hill male actors playing grizzled over the hill assassins, of which Liam Neeson has a monopoly over. But uh, it was I thought it was decent. I enjoyed it. There were a ton of actors in that film that popped up that I was surprised. Uh, I knew Common was going to be in it since he's on the poster and he has a very small role. But even like the small side characters who show up in this movie, I was surprised. Like 
um, Nick Nolte showed up for a scene for yeah. some reason. Wait, he did? Yeah, he was uh, the the uh, he was the uncle. He was the uncle with the beard. Oh my god! I <laughs> no, I just didn't. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I just did not <laughs> did not make that connection. No, he um... uh, something happened there. <laughs> okay, that th- this is one of those rare movies where literally this happens once every I don't know hundred movies or so. But me and Alex had the exact same opinion on. Yeah, it. we both gave this a two and a half yeah. right down the middle. We were just not too impressed. Yeah. Um, Bruce McGill was in this uh, movie. Remember him? The younger days playing D Day in uh, Animal House many 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 moon ago, and uh, Genesis Rodriguez, who is very hot, was in this movie, and I did not know it was her either. And she played uh, his wife uh, Gabriella. So. Gabriella. Yeah, that was bad. That, that was, was not good. Yeah, it wasn't. So, uh, anything else to say about uh, Run All Night or any other movies you've seen this week? Um, I rewatched The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which I hadn't seen in a couple of years, and I realized that film was really dark. That and... was that was a very bad time for Disney animation. Yeah, yeah. The musical numbers were still like really on point, and Claude Frollo is probably one of the most sinister characters i've ever encountered in a, in a disney film like when he says at the beginning when he he kills the gypsy woman and like is about to dump her baby into into the the it, well it got just, real real fast just saying yeah. that out loud it just sounds terrible and he's just like and the the priest comes out i was like look what you've done and i was just like i am not guilty she ran and i followed and it's like my conscience is clear and i was like did this guy like give the ferguson police like a like a like a sensitivity <laughs> course like oh my god that was, as I mentioned, that was a horrible time for Disney. It was, you know, right after, uh, you know, five years earlier, they had Lion King and Aladdin. And that was right around the time, even though I love Hercules, that, Mulan, those movies that were n- not doing it for Disney. And then mm-hmm. they got Pixar involved in the rest is history. Yeah. How about you, Nick? You're the resident movie watcher on almost every night basis. That's so. right. Um, this week, I finally caught up with a 2014 film that I've been meaning to see called God Help the Girl. Okay. And it is a the directorial debut of Stuart Murdoch, who is um, one of the lead members of the pop group Belle and Sebastian. Mm-hmm. So as you can possibly guess, it is a musical because that's um, he did a side project a few years ago called God Help the Girl, where he released an album of songs that weren't attributed to his normal group, Belle and Sebastian, but it was the same kind of style of music and whatnot. So fast forward some few years, and he has made his own film. And it's one of those films that's honestly, like, it it kind of falls apart as a film. Like, if you were to really start to pull on some threads, it will unravel as far as, like, characterization and pacing and whatnot. But this is wall-to-wall a musical. I mean, there's songs every, like, five minutes and stuff. Mm. And it's by one of the better songwriters in pop music working today. So... This is a film that completely won me over simply because of how charming it was and how good the music was. Mm. So uh, it lived up to my expectations and, and basically exceeded them. I mean, some of it was it's, it's very, very uh, twee and quirky if you don't like, like Wes Anderson films, like <laughs> that kind of uh, style of humor and whatnot. You're going to hate this because this is that, you know, maxed out to 11, but... Uh, it is one of my favorite musicals I've ever seen. I really? Think. Yes. So, okay. Uh, so I was a really big fan of that. The other thing, the last thing I want to talk about is uh, the show called Community premiered its first two episodes last night. <gasps> or, or I should say this morning because uh, it, today is uh, Tuesday, or, uh-huh. uh, March 17th at 12 a.m. 
on the service Yahoo Screen, their sixth season debuted because NBC, for anybody who doesn't know, canceled the show uh, last year just after they rehired the creator, Dan Harmon, back. And, um, Weird sideswipe at Dan Harmon. I know you are not a fan of him, so... Of, of his personality, no. I mean, <laughs> um, of the things he makes, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you could be a horrible person and make great art. Yeah. Um, although, I gotta say, they rehired him for season five, and I was not a big fan of that either. So, what's weird is that I came into this new season, even though it's on a whole new platform, with obviously some hesitation, because I was kind of over it, uh... I watched the first episode last night, and I gotta say, I laughed more at it than I had in a few seasons, because what they've now done is, by moving from NBC to Yahoo, it is not a completely different show, it's not like, uh, you know, they just started adding <laughs> nudity and, like, beheadings, or, so, you know, like, mm-hmm. they didn't go out of character. Was there a subway endorsement? Yeah, there was that. <laughs> oh my God. Well, because they still, it's, they gotta keep continuity, and yeah. that's the show's backbone is running gags and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but one of the greatest things about this new format is that we are no longer, uh, they're no longer constrained to a, um, like a 20 minute running time. They can now let these, because that was one of the worst parts of later episodes was that they were just starting the rush ending because they mm-hmm. just had to finish it. Now episodes can run to about 20, 20, like 25, 27 minutes. And I actually think it's to the show's uh, betterment because it's just a lot more relaxed and it really works, and they they introduced two new characters because they lost two actors, unfortunately, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to other projects and such. Um, but even those reintroductions were great, and uh, for the first time in like three years, I'm uh, excited to see more episodes of Community. Here's the question: Yeah, is um, is there a possible return of Donald Glover at um, all? Foreshadowed? Uh, not foreshadowed in the episode itself, but it, it is being heavily hinted that something might happen either in the sixth season or in the. Uh, heavily rumored movie that they're going to make after the sixth season because it's tied into a, the running mythology of the show. Yeah. Basically, I will not be surprised if we see Donald Glover before the end of Community, but the problem is we don't know when that ending's going to be at this point. And do you have to pay for Yahoo Screen, or nope. is it a free... You okay. can literally go, like, you can watch it in your web browser by just searching, you know, Google searching Yahoo Screen, or it's a free app on most major devices like iPhones, Roku's, and whatnot. So I'll check that out after this. Yeah, no, it, it was really great. There's two episodes dropped. I have not seen the second one yet, but the first one was, uh, it was a return to form for me. So I Very really good. enjoyed it. Ringing endorsement from uh, Nick Cheney. And you're not an easy great on TV, so no. he's merciless. Yeah, I am. So that this is a, this your favorite show sucks. Whoever you are listening, oh, <laughs> ouch. Uh, so this week, a couple movies that I want to talk about: a 2013 film called Stoker, which I saw for the first time. It's a very Hitchcock Hitchcocky film, mm-hmm. uh, the first ever English language film, but from a, a, the original old boy director Chan Wook Park uh, directed this film. And um, although some of the weird dialogue in it was a little, a little kind of made me bring it down a little bit, um, I did. I, the more I thought about this movie, the more I liked it. And even though I'm still sticking with my same grade, if I would give it a grade, I'd give it three out of five. I still really enjoyed it, and it's uh, it, it's definitely a movie that gets better the more you watch it. And I'm sure on a second viewing, it would benefit from that. There are a lot of little. Uh, I wouldn't call them Easter eggs, but things that you would notice going through a second time. Like if you watched Fight Club for a second time. And I'm not trying to say it has a twist like Fight Club does or anything like that. Um, but it's definitely a very interesting, I guess we'd call it a character study. What that would be, it's not really a plot It's got a based. good arc. Yeah. A character arc for um, And great performances by uh, Mia Wazowski, Nicole Kidman, Matthew 
it's good, right? Is that how you say his yeah, last name? Uh, and even Dermot Mulroney, who plays such a small character, but he he plays an ultimately a pivotal role in this film. Yep. Um, and I I I enjoyed it. It's a, a very interesting. It definitely the first thing I told Nick about it after I, I, I seen the movie. I feel like if Hitchcock was alive today and was making films, this would be a Hitchcock release or be, be what a Hitchcock movie would look like in 2013. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Do you think you liked it a little more after thinking about it, or are you at the pretty much the exact same? Yeah, no, I, I probably did enjoy it more. I, I try not to change my ratings without another viewing. Um, I, I do think I would give it a, a slightly higher rating if I were to see it again. Uh, I enjoyed a lot of, but I, I definitely will say this is not a movie for every for everybody. I would not... I wouldn't say I wouldn't recommend this movie, but I would have to know each individual person I was recommending it to. It is very insular. You are on its wavelength, or you yeah, aren't. and and that's fine. It, um, lovely cinematography in this film. That's another thing that it, it was, cannot. It was amazing. Yeah, um, it was beautiful. Uh, even so, some of the choices, like um, Mia Wazowski, you go through her entire lifetime of shoes that she's had, and then they're all around her on her bed in their original shoe boxes. And it sounds stupid. Like, it sounds really dumb when you're thinking about it. Yeah, okay. But when you see it, actually, and they're showing you this beautiful image going from shoebox to shoebox, and then they're all there lined up for you, it's yep. it's pretty awesome. But again, if you're not a person who likes that kind of thing, you're going to be like, well, that was fucking stupid. Yeah. So It's got one of the best film transitions I've ever seen in, like, the last decade where uh, when she's brushing the hair uh-huh. it literally goes from the, the kind of reddish brown uh, hair of Nicole Kidman and somehow very subtly transforms into uh, a grassy plain that is descending for the next scene and mm. it just blew me away it was a beautiful part of it uh, and then the other movie I want to talk about and I don't even want to talk about the actual film that I saw because I saw Cinderella with my wife who's a big Disney princess fan uh, love Cinderella. It's her favorite Disney princess. Really? So she wanted, yes. So she wanted to go see this. And it was a fine movie. There was nothing. It sounds like you're blaming your wife too. No, I'm, to I'm, see Cinderella. I'm, uh, uh, no, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was much better than the uh, failed Maleficent from last year. Yeah. Um, it stuck more to the original story. Uh, it was done by Kenneth Branagh, who's very much a brought in to be the guy who replaces Edgar Wright. He's very much a studio pawn for the most part when he makes films like Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruiter, or the first Thor. The studio got exactly what they wanted from those movies and he mm-hmm. delivered what they and he wasn't fighting back and fighting for um artistic, you know, integrity or Just anything. Just giving like him a that. paycheck. Yeah, pretty much. Um but Cinderella does a good job of bringing the original story, modernizing it so uh the Ken I was going to say Ken, Prince Charming isn't just a Ken doll, um, a you know penis inserted into the story. He has more depth. And yeah, well, he that, that's what he oh, is. That it, was graphic. Okay. He is a... This a, was a ma- Disney movie? Yeah. Okay, okay. He wasn't a physical penis who was walking around. <laughs> He's just a penis in a I, I, suit. I, I, I'm imagining the super bad drawings right now. This, <laughs> this, the, the, this army tank of penises just rolling up. You're like, wait a minute. You just get slapped in the face by a dick like you're in a fight club. And you're like, oh my God. Watch the RoboCop link we're putting up. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Just trust me. Um... Anyways, and the only uh, two things I want to mention that are ultimately great about this movie was Helena Bonham Carter's character, who's only in the movie for five minutes, and it's fine because she is a very weird character playing the fairy godmother, but she was a great casting choice. And also Haley Untwell, who's a really hot commodity now for her work on Agent Carter, um, plays Cinderella's mother, and she's 
full out blonde, even her eyebrows, everything, and I did not recognize her at first. Helena so. Bonham Carter, she's she's carved quite a career out of playing those crazy roles. ladies. Yeah. The thing is, though, she's playing not crazy ladies, but a lot more grounded characters now that she's not married to Tim Burton anymore. Mm-hmm. She's not in every Tim Burton movie having to play some stupid character. So, uh, but the the thing I wanted to get to is the Frozen Fever seven minute short was attached to this movie and played before it. And it's basically a music video um, doing fan service to everybody who was a fan of the first Frozen movie, even though... I like your air quotes. Yeah, well, they're, they're fans of it, but they were told to like it. So that's that's kind of the way that the Frozen movie went. Because I, I thought it was okay, but I wasn't a huge fan of the original Frozen. Um, where I'll get to, because this is pretty much a sing-along, music, new, creative thing. Um my wife uh, cannot ever get past Josh Gad um, because he was in a movie about sex addicts uh, that came out a few years ago with him and Mark Ruffalo. Thank you for sharing. Yes. And he has a very distinct voice. And anytime <laughs> she hears his voice, because he's like the like grossest sex addict who like tapes... Uh, videotapes women underneath their skirts with a shoe camera. So she always thinks of him because my wife cannot separate actors from characters they play. What characters does he play in Frozen? Though? He plays the, the snowman, snowman Olaf, <laughs> who's this like charming, dumb, dumb snowman. And every time she sees him, I'm like, oh my god, it's a rapist! I'm like, no, he's a he's a fun he's character a who can't who can't spell. Um, that's the one thing. And the other thing I will say, which was totally out of left field, and And this gets back to what I've been talking about, about movies more and more these days going out of their way to shit on the the bad characters. Like, oh, look, he ended up having cancer and dying. Or, oh, he got AIDS and died. Ha ha, fuck him. Um, Hans, who was the bad character in the Frozen film, is not involved in this at all. However, there is, um, is a random part where Elsa blows into a cannon out of left field actually it's a a uh the norwegian thing where they blow in it's like a horn mm-hmm. and a snowball goes flying out and you see the snowball flying across and then they show hans who is not involved in this at all and he gets hit in the face with this snowball i'm like what the fuck dude, he's me? just moaning yeah. minding his own business that we- is adorable <laughs> for a second there i thought you were saying it's like he doesn't even appear in the thing he like, doesn't he there's doesn't like, until there's just like an effigy thing. of him that gets set on fire it's a total sideswipe of oh let's shit on this bad character from the first movie again because he didn't get enough at the end of the of the frozen film yeah uh, i think it's a good point to end the show right here um and talk about our next episode which is going to be uh discussing the sort of related to alien movie prometheus uh tucson's favorite movie from uh that year oh boy oh boy <laughs> um and we will be talking about that next week and uh we're hope you were able to listen to that and if you were able to listen to us wherever you uh, heard us today thank you very much and uh, if you want to find us in other places we have our website which is filmtankshow.com so check us out there also we are on itunes and stitcher uh, at film tank show so check us out and uh on instagram twitter and facebook at film tank show and speaking of twitter uh, you can find nick on twitter at nick j cheney also, uh, Toussaint at the Saint of Toos, mm-hmm. Kenny, who's the, or, or sorry, not the, but White Limo 61. So if you want to find him that way, he's there. And I am Alex underscore Diekman because I'm not cool like Kenny with his White Limo name. What can I say? It's my poor name. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Anyways, thank you very much for listening to the fifth episode of Film Tank, and we will catch you next time.